facts create the interests. And the interests, quite simply, are these. That our speaker recently celebrated his 25th year of sobriety. His story is in the big book under the heading Joe's Woes. There is a brief description of that story, and it reads simply like this. Joe's woes were only the beginning when he hit Bellevue Hospital for the 35th time. He still had the state hospital ahead of him, and even after AA, a heartbreaking test of his newfound faith. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you, from New York City, Joe M. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I am Joe Ma and I'm an alcoholic. Maybe I'm a little different than the one from Alaska and Ohio and Florida. Because you often hear mentioned up here, a fellow speaker get up and say, I never drank till I went to high school. Next one will get up, proceed him, and say, I never took a drink till I went to college. Well, I never drank in high school or college because I never went to high school or college. <laughs> uh, our leader told you about 35 trips to Bellevue. That is so. And... Uh, <clears throat> Let me say this, that should qualify me as an alcoholic, because they don't take you in the alcoholic ward in Bellevue for sinus. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when we mention alcoholism <clears throat> is a disease, I think it's a very, very insidious disease and a very, very progressive disease. Uh, I took a drink in my early, early teens. I got drunk in my early teens. And I stayed drunk for periods of 30 years, say. Now, I made my first trip to Bellevue uh, back in 1916. And at that time, I was diagnosed in Bellevue Hospital as a chronic alcoholic. Now, what the hell did a chronic alcoholic mean to... To a 16-year-old boy, uh, I thought a chronic alcoholic is, uh, uh, was a derelict or a drunken bum or a skid row bum or a bowery bum. And uh, I didn't do too much about it, but uh, little did I know at that particular point that I was to make 35 more trips to that institution. And little did I know at that point that I, too, wound up as a derelict. I wound up as a drunken bum, a Bowery bum, and a Skid Row bum. Now, I think we are affected with a very, very progressive disease. It's a disease that's... I don't think there's any cure for it. 
Uh, the medical profession claims they have no cure for it. That was brought out today in one of the meetings. And uh, uh, here in AA, we don't have a cure for this so-called disease. But here in AA, we do arrest this so-called sickness. And the proof of that is talking to you here tonight. Uh, now, I'm going to skip along and... Uh, because uh, being an AA, and I've, uh, I, I have a pretty rough story, and I don't have time to tell it here tonight. But you may read it in page 445 in the big book. Uh, and, and if you play numbers, don't play that number. That, that number owes me about $30,000 $30, of it owes me a nickel. Now... I was in AA for, no, I was in Bellevue, and I come out, I tried a lot of things, I, I, I tried a lot of it in my own way, I, uh, I knew I was having trouble as, as a young kid, and I tried things, when I come out of Bellevue, I, uh, 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 well, I, I, I tried, uh, no, I, I was going to stop drinking, uh, I was going to keep this up till till the day I got married. Now, let's put it that way. And, uh, well, I'm going to skip ten years. In 1926, uh, I did get married. And that's the time I, I, I really tried to stop drinking. And uh, it was no success with me because I I had no luck with it. And I, I went on and on. It was one continuous merry-go-round I was on for 30 years. <clears throat> After being married uh, a few months, it was suggested to me... Uh, uh, maybe if I went back to church, I was away from church. I didn't want no part of God and didn't, didn't like the word God. Uh, family of four, and I'm the only alcoholic and the only bum in the family. And I thought maybe uh, it was God's fault. That's the way I, I figured out. And, uh, but I did, uh, uh, I went back to church after the suggestion. And I went back to church and I took many and many a pledge. And a pledge that never hurt me. I even as much as one time, uh, <clears throat> uh, well, it was, uh, I was married 11 months, and uh, my family, uh, my wife got in the family way, and uh, I took my wife to the hospital, and I got that far with her, and I left her there, and I went to visit my wife certain days, and in fact, every day. And uh, those days, I used to keep a woman about 10 days in childbirth, and then... Uh, uh, I made a date with the hospital staff that a certain day, at a certain hour, I was to come down and get my wife and bring my child home. Well, that day come along, and uh, needless to say, I, I don't know where I was. I wasn't there, but my dad took over, and he, he carried out this mission for his drunken son. And I come rolling home, oh, in the wee hours of the morning, and uh, I, uh, I get in the house, and my dad called me to the this attention, and he, he went over, tried to give me a father to son talk, and he was talking to me. Hey, he tried to do good, of course, and uh, then he went on to say, he says, you know, you, you, you gotta change your pattern of drinking, you gotta, you gotta uh, change your company, he says, and here's the words he used, and I'm not gonna use any other words. He said, let these goddamn Irish bums you hang around with, he said, let them drink all the whiskey they want, he said, you buy yourself a bottle of wine, you take it home, drink it with your meals, he'll never hurt you. 
Well, I took his advice. I went out and bought two gallons of wine. I came home and I drank the two gallons of wine and I was out looking for my Irish friends. So drinking with my meals didn't help. I even as much as went to the medical center uh, and, uh, and my sister suggested one time she was a nurse and things were getting rough. Instead of better, now it's going into tragedy drink. Uh, tragedy is three children in the world and instead of getting better, I'm getting worse. About ten years after uh, I'm married, my wife's got a resentment. She was going to leave me. At the time, my sister suggested to go to the hospital, to the medical center. And uh, I did. I went to the medical center, and uh, uh, I checked in there. When my sister checked in, she paid about $40 for this visit. She stood all expenses. And uh, she talked to the doctor at the medical center in New York City. And uh, and then we were assigned to a certain doctor. All we got is a number of this doctor's office and, and the name, and name of this doctor who was supposed to take my case over. So we knocked on the door. I knocked on the door, and an answer from the inside came in and said, uh, come on in, the door's open. I walked in. I walked up to this doctor's desk. He stood up to greet us, and he, when he stood up, he, he, he stood up to my shoulder, a little bit of a fella. Right away, I, 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 I stared at him. I said, what the hell kind of a mess am I in now? Uh, I was bigger than he was. I thought I knew more than he did. Well, he asked me the, the silliest question that anybody could ask. He looked at the paper that my sister handed in the window, and uh, he uh, he says to me, he says, Young man, he says, why do you drink so much? I says, holy gee, there goes $40 out the window. <laughs> well, Well, I had a talk with him. You know, I start answering, I start asking him a lot of questions. Because I had interviewed psychiatrists in Bellevue by the hundreds. And, you know, some of the questions I asked him, he couldn't answer me. And I was convinced I knew more than he did. And this went on, he got mad at me and he threw me the hell out of the office. Then he told my wife and sister to come in. He talked to them. And then he suggested that I would go to Bellevue. I did. I went to Bellevue the next morning with my wife and sister and sober. When I walked in there with two ladies, sober, the doctor got a look at me. A doctor that had seen me come in there in all shapes and forms, like on a wheelchair, or on crutches, or tied down to a hospital cot. And he also seen me come in with a cop under each arm. And when I walked in there with two ladies sober, he says, Mina, what are you doing in here in your condition? I told him about the little squared up in the medical center. He said, do you want to go through with this? I said, yes. And he drew out a voluntary commitment to a state hospital. 
which I didn't know it was a state hospital. Had I known it was a, a voluntary commitment to a state hospital, maybe I wouldn't have signed it. I don't know. But I signed it, and I was in. The girls went home, and I stood there. I stood there for about a week. Then they called me, took my clothes. They gave me my clothes. They said, you're going up the country. And they took me to Rockland State Hospital on a bus. Now, when I got to Rockland State Hospital, I thought I didn't belong in a place like that. And believe you and me, I really belong. And uh, I got mad when I got up there. Not angry, but mad. I got mad at the world. I got mad at my wife and sister, my whole family. And I got mad at everybody. And I was even mad at myself. I got so mad, I wouldn't talk to nobody in Rockland. Now, here's a little tip. If any of you folks in the audience here tonight ever hit a place like Rockland State Hospital or any other state hospital, do yourself a favor and at least talk to the doctors. <laughs> now, this went on for quite a while. The bus come up from Bellevue the next week, and the procedure is everybody looked out the window to see who is coming back. <laughs> now, everything was all right. About ten got off that bus, and the last two men to get off that bus, I happened to be in Bellevue with them maybe 30, maybe 40 times, I don't know. And I knew one of those men had been in Rockland. And they come up there, and they says, look, this ain't the worst place in the world. Cooperate with us, and you know the, we know the ropes in Bellevue, and Jimmy here knows the ropes in Rockland. So it didn't turn out to be the worst place in the world, because ten days later, we're, three of us are drunker in hell up in Rockland. <laughs> so even a voluntary commitment to a state hospital didn't help. I got drunk in Rockland so often that they threw me the hell out of Rockland for being a, a bad example to the other alcoholics. Now, I get out of Rockland, and what do I do? Same old, I'm on the same merry-go-round. I get in that, a little more trouble. Now I'm going to go on, uh, going to skip along, and I'm going to, I don't ever want to forget this last trip to Rockland. Uh, all I remember of this last trip to Rockland is, <clears throat> I know it was around 10 o'clock at night, or maybe at, at midnight, because I remember the early night shifts going off and the late night shift is coming on. And uh, when a late night shift come on, the doctor recognized the condition I was in, and he gave the, the, the male nurse a set of keys, and he says, go back there and get that bottle of Prowlerhide. And they give me and uh, while the, the nurse is back there getting the pralahide, I recall the doctor hollering, bring back an empty water glass. Well, they give me a big water glass full of pralahide. <clears throat> and I drank that, and uh, it knocked me out. And they put a cot on the hospital floor, as the Bellevue M1, and uh, they laid me down there. And the uh, next thing I remember is about maybe an hour and a half later, uh, there's three men... Uh, they knelt down alongside of the, my my bed, my cot, and they're trying to wake me up. They, I didn't know they didn't know whether I was dead or alive. They tried to get me to breathe again, I suppose, and they did. Now they got me up on the set, up on the cot, and my legs hanging down. And then they stood me up, and 
this male nurse was shaking me around. And Well, when I come out of the fog a little bit, I, I recognize this male nurse right away. And when I come out of the fog sec- seconds later, uh, alongside of this male nurse stood a New York City policeman in uniform. Now, the third man was a first-grade detective. He was also alongside of this policeman. There's two men from the New York City Police Department. Uh, they knew my record, I guess, and they says, give this bum enough rope, and he'll hang himself, which they did. They picked me up that night in the alcoholic ward, and they brought me upstairs, put me in the prison ward. And uh, I was held, I was taken downtown to the DA's office, and I was held for a very, very serious charge. I was held, and I was supposed to do seven and a half to 15 years in state prison for it. For something I, for a felony I committed in, a, in the blackout, which was no excuse for the law at that time, and it's no excuse for the law to this very night. You just can't get away with it. And uh, it was all set for me, and uh, but two weeks before they took me downtown for sentence, something did happen, because a brother of mine that was around, he came down, me. He went back and forth downtown, pulling a few wires here and a few strings here and, and politics and a few thousand dollars. And something uh, did happen because I was taken down on the, the right date and all. And when I was sentenced, I was, uh, instead of state prison, uh, I was sentenced to Rockland State Hospital for the rest of your natural life. That happened to be late 1937. In early 1938, I met a man in Rockland that I hadn't seen in a couple of years. And uh, I've been in jail with this fellow. I've been locked up so many times, uh, more times than I've been in Bellevue. And uh, I had drank with this guy. I got drunk together with him. But I hadn't seen him in maybe 18 months. And uh, when you meet a guy like that, you want to know about each other. And uh, uh, we did. We swapped stories. And I said, what happened? How come I didn't see you or you didn't see me? the last couple of, uh, or this last couple of years, let's put it that way. And uh, and uh, he's the first guy that uh, mentioned uh, AA. He says, the reason you haven't seen me, he says, hey, I met a handful of men out in the Brownstone House in Clinton Street, Brooklyn. Uh, at that time, our founder, Villa Wilson, uh, did have a brown, and Lois, they had a Brownstone House in Clinton Street, Brooklyn. And he was going to these meetings down there. They had a membership, maybe about 18 or 19 men. Uh, there was no ladies in AA at that time. He told me all about these meetings, and he went on to say, you know, these fellows are even writing a book. Right now, some of the scripts are up up in Akron, Ohio, and down the uh, Jersey coast, and so on and so forth. And when the book is published, they're going to name it uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And... Uh, that was it. That's all he could tell me about AA and uh, what uh, AA was doing for 18 or 20 men at that time. And he told me all about it. And he told me, oh, and he, it, I, I was in the same dormitory with this guy. And it was, uh, believe me, I, oh, I got fed up with him. He said, AA for breakfast. We get up in the morning. He said, AA, 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 in the... The mess hall, more. Hey, 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 hey. Well, this kept on. We go on a job together. It was nothing but hey, hey. We wouldn't wake. We'd sit down and talk. Hey, hey. He was talking hey, hey. Well, I, I, I stood all I could have at him. And then I said, now, wait a minute. I said, Let's put our cards on the table. I said, 
If you say AA is what you're building it up to be, uh, now answer me a question. What the hell are you doing back here in Rockland? <laughs> he says, oh, I'm one of the unfortunate ones. I had a slip. <laughs> well, I didn't know what the hell a slip meant either. Well, anyway, to make a long story shorter, we'll skip to April of 1939 uh, with the first print of the big book. And May of that same year, May of 1939, uh, that book was brought up to Rockland State Hospital. It was introduced to the superintendent up there. And uh, <coughs> with the message that they had, uh, they had a message for the hundreds of chronic alcoholics that was in that hospital at that time. Now, Bill come up with a book, but Bob Valentine, Mount Clair group, he was the instigator getting Bill in there with the book that time, because he, he had known this Dr. Blaisdell, and he talked to him. They must have sold him a bill of goods because they, uh, they sold him a bill of goods because they asked him, let us prove to you what we are trying to do with this book. And uh, <coughs> get one of the worst cases of alcoholism on the grounds. Now, I don't know what's going on in the, in the administration office. And uh, at this point, I'm in the day room of the reception building, and I'm playing pinochle with three other nuts. And this, <laughs> this guy comes along, this male attendant, he says... Dr. Baisdell wants to see you. Drop your cards. He says he wants to see you up in the office. And that's the time I was introduced to Bill. Now, Bill is my sponsor. I guess I'm, I'm lucky. Like Clarence here, he had Dr. Bob for a sponsor. But Bill is my sponsor. Bill and Bob Valentine. I think I'm one of the lucky ones. Well, they got to me. They talked to me. And before they left, uh, they talked to me for a couple of hours. Before they left, uh, they left me the big book. And Bill says to me, he says, you read this book and uh, see what you think about us, and we'll be up to see you again. Well, uh, they did. I, I read the book, and I kept it to myself. And uh, about a month later, or three weeks later, Bill and a couple other guys from AA to come up. I'm in the day room. I got the book under my arm, and I'm talking to a group of men. Uh, it made it look like I was talking AA to him, but I wasn't, see. <laughs> Bill come in and he says, uh, Hiya, lad, how you doing? I says, I'm doing all right. How are you fellas doing? He says, you're letting anybody read the book. I said, shh. Don't what, this book? No, no. And uh, he says, And then out of a clear sky, I don't know where the hell he got this bum's name from. He mentioned a name that I knew had been in Bellevue maybe 95 times. And he'd been in Rockland over 12 times. And he says to me, have you gotten to Frank Rogers yet to read this book? I says, wait a minute, Bill. You mean that bum back in Building 19 that's been in Bellevue 90 times and he's been in Rockland? Is that the Frank Rogers you mean? He says, yep. You know how Bill is. He says, that's the Frank Rogers I mean. I says, now wait a minute, Bill. If we want to make a go of this, let's keep those bums the hell out of it or we'll never make a go. (laughs) 
Well, anyway, he had an ace in a hole, and he says to me, he explained to me, he says, here's what we're trying to do, and you can do more in this hospital than the whole membership can do on the outside. And the whole membership at that time, it was maybe 95 or 75 people throughout the country. And Bill explained the program to me, and uh, before he left, he says, uh, uh, you do this, and uh, I'm sure, well, I did. I done what he told me. Then I took the book after Bill left, because Bill says to me, he says, why don't you cooperate with us? He says, who knows, maybe in four or five years, we'll be able to spring you. Wow, now, now I can understand him. I got two minutes to go. I don't know where the hell I'm going. <laughs> well, that's all I wanted to hear. When Bill left this time, I took that book and I went from ward to ward and I was going to sober every son of a bitch in the place up. And I did. Leave you and me, I did. I sobered everybody up. But I didn't sober me. Well, that's it. I, I went out. I left the hospital. I got thrown in the hospital. I went out and I took uh, a glass of beer under a challenge that uh, one of the men in Steinway Halls, Tom Burrell, he got up and hey, here's the words he used, and I'm going to use them too. He says, as long as one is an alcoholic, you'll ever be able to take another drink as long as you live. Now, this is before even Bill, I don't think, knew that we had a 24-hour program. And <laughs> so when he left, when he, le uh, when he got through talking that night, uh, this fellow in Steinway Hall, uh, I said, gee, I said, as long as you live. <laughs> well, I couldn't take that, man. After the meeting, I snuck out, and I, I, I'd done something I'd never done before in an AA meeting, but thank God I'd never done it since. I went out, and I had a glass of beer, and uh, one beer brought another, and I had about seven beers. Then I was getting fed up with a beer, and I was too much of a beer drinker, and then uh, I said to the bartender, uh, make that a double Calvitz. He did. Well, three months later, I was back in Rockland again. <laughs> Now, that's the time I cleaned myself out, and here I am. After 25 years, I can honestly stand here and say, I had my last drink of alcohol 25 years ago, and just one month. Thanks to you, good people in the game, last but not least, the grace of God. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff, Bill.
Thank you, Joe. Joe. And oh, if only they hadn't given us these lights, and if they hadn't placed a time limit on this panel. It's a minute or two, two, two. And we're going to close right on time. But before we do, tell me frankly now, did you ever hear four better speakers? And on behalf of Clarence, Claude, Edith, and Joe, may I tell you, they've never had a better audience. May we close now, please, with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.